created live on Fireside. <laughs> nice going. Nice going. <laughs> Hi everyone, this is Doing It Sober Live on Fireside. It's a pleasure to have your company. I'm Chris Nell. The beautiful blonde is Daniela Park. And here's a lovely gentleman who we can't wait to introduce you to. So without further ado, let's get to it. They say life imitates art. The slogan is peddled corner to corner, continent to continent, and coast to coast. However, art is found everywhere. A painting, a sketch, body art for that fact, or words of metered rhyme. All with a common goal. On one end, the response would be raised ire. The other, outspoken appreciation for individuality. Richard Walser has found the rhythm of rhyme to be his heartbeat because simply it keeps him alive. Stints in detox, ICU and rehab have made him turn his life around after years of alcoholism and drug abuse and uh, uh, his art through his st strut on the stage, through music production and rhyme are his weapons he uses to show the world, simply look at me now. He's here on DS Live and we want to hear his story. Richard, make yourself known, my fellow. Welcome. Well, Rashad, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on YouTube and Facebook Live and wherever else you're watching from. Uh, Rashad, you are not only are sober, but you are fit. And I just want to, like, put that up in the forefront because, holy crap, you're a little... I mean, you got like a six, an eight pack or something. No, I, but I watch your yeah. social media and I'm so impressed by your workouts. You guys are accountable and you're so into your health. Where did this all come from? Your life was in complete shambles. What happened? Yeah. So, um, well, growing up, I, I played sports. I grew up in, um, in the projects and everything. And that's what we did growing up. Play basketball, football, tag, cops and robbers and um, anything like that. So, uh, middle school and high schools, the end of middle school, beginning of high school, I started lifting weights. That that was before addiction kind of like grasped me. So, um, I was familiar with the weightlifting aspect of, of life. And, um, I just ended up wanting to do a holistic journey after my attempts with AA and NA. Um, just, it just wasn't for me really, you know? So I needed to find something that, that would satisfy my, my, um, recovery i guess and, and the gym is really what keeps me grounded i uh i i'm in the gym five sometimes six days a week uh when i'm only there two or three times a week my mind's going crazy so i, I know that that's where my, my my grounding is but it also makes me feel better too uh after the session i get them endorphins pumping pump and my body feels like it's recovering and it's just, it's just like a whole body whole experience recovery is more of a growth thing than than a, a recovery program that's right and that's so current you know there's so many different ways to get sober but yeah. the fact that you didn't give up and you kept going and found the outlet that you needed to keep yourself from going backwards and you were moving forward you have so many cool things you've written a book you've um you're a you're a you know a single dad or are you no i'm not <laughs> but you're a dad now, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I'm and back. You've done so many things, and I and we could talk about all that. But let's just go back and talk about. I'm kind of curious. We know your addiction was bad. 
We know your alcoholism was bad. Tell us how bad it got and what did it take? What, how did you end up getting sober? It started getting really bad 2014. I was 23 years old. Um, I was already drinking daily, but it, I didn't realize that I was becoming physically uh, dependent on it. So um, I was working third shift. I got switched from third to second shift. And then um, that really messed up my drinking times. So my body was used to drinking at certain times uh, throughout the day. And then it was like not being able to drink at that time. So that's when I started getting sick and throwing up. And um, I didn't even know what withdrawals were at that point. So I'm just like getting sick. And I'm like, damn, I need a drink in order for me to feel better. And then it came to a point where I was at the hospital for, uh, I was actually vomiting blood for like a few days. And I oh. needed to find what was going on. Yeah. So um, I went to the hospital and... I remember like not feeling well, I was shaking and everything. And then a nurse had asked me like, uh, how much do you drink? And I was like, oh, like every day. And um, that's when I like basically found out that I was an alcoholic. And then uh, maybe a year after that, I got to drinking a, a handle a day, like four, five, six pints uh, of vodka a day. And um, that's when my life really started to spiral. I lost my, my daughter and her mother moved out. They moved to Arizona and my life just started to spiral. I lost my job lost my apartment and um i was just homeless couch surfing for for like four years and um through that whole time i was like just finding jobs here and there and and, and trying to just stay well and try to get to it because like throughout my whole struggle i knew that i was destined for more like in high school i had teachers always tell me like rashad you're gonna be entertainer one day i can tell by your personality and the way you know so like what the whole time I was struggling, I knew that I was destined for more. I just didn't know when I was going to be able to start my climb back up into, you know, life. And, um, it all came crashing down 2018, February. Um, I flipped my car on the highway. You know, I was in a blackout. Yeah. I, I was blacked out drunk and I was on so much coke that night for, and, um, yeah, I, I guess I blacked out and I went 80 miles per hour head first into a cement median. Flip my car forward, and um, the next day, my Eagles won a Super Bowl. I celebrated for a month, but um, after that month, yeah, <laughs> but after that month, I was like done because that was it. I, that was my the car was my last possession. It was like the last thing that I had that was keeping me from from getting clean. Really, like it was enabling me to go to the package stores and go do this and have a job in order to support my habit. So right. once the car was gone. Yeah, once the car was gone, I was it was it was over. It was like game over, and it forced me. I was at complete rock bottom. I had nothing left, and I was like, you know what? If not anytime, then now this is the best time for me to get clean. And um, I I in that four year span, I went to thirty one detoxes, eight different rehab programs, Whoa. and it, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I never yeah. heard that. Oh my god, yeah. it was crazy. And, and why did it take so? So many detoxes. You just you went in and out, in and out. Yeah, I mean, um, in the beginning, the first ten months of me trying to get clean, I went to twelve detoxes, and that's because I was ignorant to the process. So I just figured, like, oh, I go to detox, I get clean. Oh, maybe that one didn't work, so maybe the next one I get clean. And then I started taking advice to go to treatment, and then I would go on like month binges or like six, seven months where I'm like teetering on withdraw every morning but i got enough money to sustain my habit and still make it to work kind of inebriated so i'm not getting sick so it, it was like that for a while but um yeah it it came crashing at the end and it, it was just like 
it's time for me to get clean. And it was nice because all those years of me going in and out of detoxes and rehabs, I picked up all the information I needed. I just wasn't able to apply it. And this time I finally decided to go to a 90 day program because I never wanted to go before. And, and I ended up staying for four and a half months. And I, um, I just, I applied everything. I applied everything that I learned. I started doing meditation. I started doing yoga. I was focused on my nutrition, on my fitness, on fun, because fun is like the best part of my recovery. Like I just go out go to events. I'm going to sporting events and my kids sporting and concerts. And it's just like that fun. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine going through that many detoxes, but if I think back to my uh, using and drinking, I think I did the same. I just didn't have a desire to stop. And I didn't know that I was an alcoholic. I didn't even know what an alcoholic really was. Right. You know, I just thought this was just me and there was no. So then what happened when you had nothing, you got out four months later. I mean, what does one do? Yeah. So like I said, I, I, I knew I, I was kind of destined for something and I already had plans on when I got clean, what I was going to do with my life. So Upon leaving rehab, um, I needed to get a car. So I uh, got a job at a gym, which was one of my goals, like to just to work at a gym. I want to get in the gym just so I can, you know, have a free membership and be able to study um, nutrition and fitness. And um, I went and got my recovery coach certificate for Connecticut out here. Wow. And then um, I got my job back as a behavioral, um, I was a behavior tech. And the reason I got that job while I was in addiction was because I knew that one day I was going to have to, I was going to be able to use it on my resume when I was applying <laughs> recovery, which is ironic. But yeah, like yeah. I, I, I cleaned it out. I knew one day I was going to get clean. And I was going to be okay. able to share my But But um, yeah, Not so. Mind. I, right. So, I, so I was working as a behavior tech and then I decided I wanted to try to get into recovery, work in recovery. So I applied for my for the for my last job um where i actually that was my last rehab i went to the 90 days so they were like they welcomed me with open arms i worked there for two years and um just this past year 2021 i published my book uh so generous is available on amazon started acting uh, i started doing music again i started modeling uh it's just so much and there's so much more that i'm i'm ready to do but yeah so i Got a recovery coach and I started working in recovery and then I started my, uh, I started to come out and, and share my story with people and I realized that a lot of people are actually gaining a lot from just hearing my story. So I was like, let me just share more. And I just continue to share now and I've built a little following and, and I, um, I'm just happy to be able to inspire people to want to live a better life because that's all it's really about. Like it's just living better, growing, this optimum level that you can, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I find, and it's ironic because social media is actually a really big place for us to get, you know, friendship, support. And in the, this time and age, it is what it is. I mean, we're, for the recovery community, we're all kind of tight in our um, social media, especially on Instagram. Like there's people who are sober and they get a little bit from this person or they get it from this, you know, there's something for everyone. And I, I love that you share your journey on what you're doing. And it, it, it is inspiring. You know, you, you're pumped up, you're excited. And I saw you were doing some modeling pictures the other day. I don't yeah. know what that was for, but it just made me think, wow, this guy who sent me this story of, of just bottoming out is now 
confidently taking pictures in on a set, you know, it just was really cool to see. So I appreciate you sharing that. Right. I couldn't um, even look in the mirror before and now I'm taking pictures for everybody else to see. That's so cool. That's so cool. So what do you think the difference is between what you did and what someone else is doing that they can't get it? I mean, there's so many people dying, you know? Yeah. What, what, I mean, what was your upbringing? Did you um, come from a family of alcoholism? Were you around it? I mean, or were you just a good kid that has alcoholism and no? Yeah. So um, I grew up typical story. It's project story. My father was a drug dealer. My mother got with him in like the early stages of his drug dealing. And um, as I grew up, I, my father, he would throw a lot of parties and there's a bunch of people there sniffing Coke and there's beers all over the place and there's cards and there's dice flying. And um, so that was kind of my, <laughs> it's weird, but it, it was normal. My father got, the house got raided when I was four and my father basically got taken away. And that's kind of like when my abandonment issues began. But also, I got my grandfather was an alcoholic. My uh, my uncle was a addict who died prematurely in his in his life, and um, it was just a lot. And then at one point, I kind of had no no chance because my father uh, introduced me to alcohol at eight years old. Wow! And um, that kind of that was it. Like that's where my craving began. I I started drinking with my dad at eight. And from eight until 13, it was every summer when I would go visit him, I'd drink. And it wasn't just like one time, every time I went out there, it was, hey, Rashad, I'm going to the store, you want a beer? Like every other day. So, um, yeah, so by the time I hit 13, I was drinking every weekend. I was hanging out with kids that were older than me, 16, 17, 18. So I'm drinking with them in the projects. And um, by the time I was a senior in high school, my, my second senior year, because I was so proud to being an alcoholic, like I was drinking and partying so much, I was so proud of it that I was doing an extra year of high school and I was like happy. Like, y'all get to come back for one more year, you know? <laughs> Shit. It's sad, but yeah, like it, it, is. it was weird. It's, it's insecurity and, and sadness, you know? It's. And I felt like I, I was going to lose my. I'm not going to college. That's what well, that wasn't in my, my plans. So it was like, this is all I have. Let me stay one more year. <laughs> right. But um, by 19, uh, a year after high school, I, I got introduced to Coke for the first time. And I was just always interested in, like, trying things for some dumb reason. So uh, it was like Coke at 19. At the end of that year, I, we started doing e-pills, me and my friends. And then um, it it, it kind of um, went on the surface for me. Like, everybody, I would just go to parties with everybody, and they would be sniffing Coke. And, and that's what we I started doing. I got out of work when I worked at the hospital. I'll be in my scrub still and I'll be um, doing coke with all my friends on the street and I'd be up all night. Yeah, it, it was bad. And then um, I actually started getting addicted to Xanax because I was in and out of detoxes, like I said. And then somebody had told me like, oh, did you know that Xanax is the same thing as the Ativan? And I was like, oh, so I can detox myself at home. So I went on two years of trying to detox at home and it was turned into a habit by accident. And um. I got to the point where I was sniffing heroin when my dealer for the Xanax didn't have it. He was like, well, I got dope if you want it right now. And I'm like, well, I just need something. So let me get that. I go get a bottle and then maybe I'll hit you up and you have Xanax later and I can detox. And um, yeah, so it was just, and then that was four years of that. Me uh, working at group homes, trying to support my habit, uh, 
in and out of package stores. I was drinking mouthwash at one point. It got so bad I was drinking mouthwash where I had no money. Wow. That's that's pretty low. You know, when you because I mean, I've been been there, you know, and that is just like when you can't get the liquor. If you're like in California, you can't drink after two mouthwash. Nobody would believe it if they weren't an alcoholic. You know, that's who would think that someone would drink that shit. Wow, what a remarkable story. So are you so when you got sober, you had that facility that was your support. You had those people that really cuz this is very hard to do alone. With that facility when you got out or when you completed or whatever you want to call it, graduated. <laughs> did you stay you work there later, but did you stay in touch with those people? Like what was your support group afterwards? No. Yeah, so what I did was um, there's a, a program called CCAR out here in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and um, it's a, a recovery center. Yeah, it's a recovery center, and I, I would go there for my meetings. They had all recovery meetings, so it wasn't like NA or AA, but it was oh. just like for anybody, mental health or uh, alcoholism or addiction. So I would spend my time there. I was volunteering as a recovery coach there, picking up phones, talking to people, and I was getting, and I was actually going to different rehabs and detoxes and get share my story at the other places that I've been to before. So um, that was my immediate uh, support network. And then as I started to build a, a following on Instagram, I got like 30 or 40 people that I talk to on a regular basis that we just check in with each other. And um, there's also people from in my area that I helped on their journey. And now we talk on a regular basis and I actually look up to them sometimes because of the things that they say, the wisdom that they gain. Cause you know, we all gain our own wisdom from the experiences that we have. So it's just nice to just have, you know, have that conversation and just learn from, from each other. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, I, mean, I, also use, my, I use my family as well. My family is a big piece of my, um, oh. on that work. Yeah. They That's used awesome. to enable They're supportive. Yeah. Yeah, it was enabling before, but now it's support. <laughs> great, great. You can be a good example. You know, you break the break the chains. That's what what we do. You know, when we get sober, we break the chains. We get hopefully, you know, like I got married. I don't have any children. I, I'm not having any children, but I broke my chain. <laughs> you know, there's so much out there, and so many people to talk to, and the power of it all is when we get together and we get to talk, there's that power. And it just, it just spread so far and so worldly, this recovery thing. It's pretty incredible. Um, so the book, I'm interested to hear, what is the book name again? Yeah. So it's Sui Generis. That's how you pronounce it. It's, uh-huh. it's S-U-I-G-E-N-E-R-I-S. Okay. Yeah, and um, it's actually Latin for a term that in a nutshell means unique. And um, I named it that mainly because of my style of recovery. I use a holistic uh, program, and it's different from most programs, and it's kind of new, so it's like unique. You know, it's my own little twist on recovery. And um, it's a memoir of my second year clean, so I um, waited a year to start writing it's part that it was part of my five-year plan when i was in rehab like write a book get recovery yeah. do all this stuff you know yeah so i wanted to wait a year because i felt like if i had a year clean i i was good like not good but like i had some momentum to keep my recovery or i would and um so i started the day the day of my one-year anniversary and i just journaled for that whole year after that and it, it turned out to be a very entertaining project because 
ironically, a bunch of stuff happened that year. As soon as I started writing, it was like it was uh, girl problems. My brother, one of my brothers, got hit by a car and almost um, died. Uh, I lost a very close family member to me during that time, and um, I lost jobs. I didn't lose jobs, but I would. At one point, I left the job in order to try to start a new one, and then because of my background, it didn't fall through, and I was like left with nothing. So it, it, so it's just like all the trials and tribulations of life, how I got through it, what I used to cope, the outcome of, of all that. And it, it was, it's really interesting. I got some, some good feedback and I'm just happy that I can help anybody, you know? You know, what it sounds like to me is that you have a direct connection with something. And I, I feel like that. Yeah. And um, when we have that spiritual connection and we're, you know, we, we're just so in tune and aware and sober and we get that intuitive thought and we take action on it man the miracles the things that happen and the yeah. fact that you are carrying out those things i mean people get sober and it's okay they got sober and that's a big deal that's a very big deal but when you write a book and you stick with these goals i mean it really is encouraging for others you know to and it's and it's cool to do because people really get to see, wow, this dude from the projects who has been drinking since eight years old is now living a sober life. Because I know that I didn't think that I could ever take I didn't have a sober breath at one point for like 19 years. Mm. And, you know, I never thought it was I never even thought about it. It wasn't even something I thought about. I just drank every day. It was just part of my life. And it was fun for a very long time until I started smoking meth. <laughs> but, <laughs> a terrible. But, yeah. um, you know, uh, you're on your way, which is really cool. And, and you've got a long way to go. So, and it's it's exciting. I mean, we're in it for today, but it, it's exciting to, if I could tell you in the last 16 years, all the things that I've done that I never even imagined I would do, you would yeah. just, you'd be excited. And I know you're excited because I, I can tell. The working out thing, I, how do I get myself motivated? Because you are the most motivated person that I watch on Instagram. You are always out there. See, you know, the key is to be able to go to gym when you're not motivated. Because I'm not motivated. Okay. I, I'm, I'm not. I, I swear, you guys, my girlfriend, I wake up and I'm like, oh, my God, I got to go to the damn gym. But the thing is, is the discipline. I, I, I started the discipline when I was in rehab. There was a gym there. So I'd get up early in the morning no matter what I felt like and I'd go. And um, it goes with my life because there's a lot of things that I do in my life that I don't want to do, but I know it's good for me. So... The first year, that's what I, that's all I did. I just did everything that I knew was going to be good for me that I didn't want to do because I knew it was going to build some kind of life callus and I was going to be able to keep doing things like that. So like fitness was part of that. And then, I mean, holding my tongue when I talk to people because I, I don't want that conflict in my life anymore and everything like that. But, but yeah, it was, it, it wasn't, it, it's not motivation most of the time. Uh, there's a lot of times where I, I tell myself I'm not going to the gym out loud. On purpose because I know that's gonna make me, it's gonna drive me crazy. Like you just told yourself you're not going to the gym, you're not going to the gym, you're not going to the gym, you're not going to the gym. Wow. And then, then I end up there. So that's yeah, cool. it's mainly discipline. Sounds like it. I mean, half half measures availed us nothing, and yeah. you know you're really diving in, and um, that's cool. Now the, I want to go back to like you were just talking about holding your tongue, and I find that 
to be an interesting part of my sobriety because it took me a lot of years because we're angry, we're resentful, we have insecurity issues, a lot of crap when we come in. And it doesn't go anywhere unless we really kind of acknowledge it. How were you able to acknowledge your past and move on? It's crazy because that's that's a big part of me being happy in my recovery because like I, I don't hold on to things anymore. I accept what what it was, and that's really what it was. It was the acceptance. Like I'm able to accept that things suck sometimes, or most of the time. Like I, I understand that it's gonna happen. So as long as I know that's gonna happen, and I know if I push through it, the other side's gonna be beautiful. That discipline has helped me do that throughout my life. Yeah, and, and every time people ask me like. Yeah, but I, I you know, or somebody would say like, "Oh, it looks so fun. You look like you're happy all the time." I'm like, "Listen, I'm not happy all the time. <laughs> I'm definitely not. But when I am happy, I do enjoy it, and I, I I thrive in that moment. And then I reflect on it back when when I'm going through rough times because I know another good time's gonna come. You know, just shit sucks sometimes. Just keep going. Wow, that's a great attitude. I mean, you are on fire. The main pe- reason why a lot of people relapse is because of. They, they don't deal with their past. You know, they're on this, wow, I got a new job and I feel so good and everything's great. And then like, then what, you know, and then all this stuff is coming up or they run into somebody that they totally wronged, you know, and yeah. they, ooh. And you know, a lot of times people are scared. They're, they're scared to feel and, and you need to. I, I talk to my guys here at the, at the rehab that I work at now and, um, I just let them know, like, you don't really need, <laughs> you don't need to be scared. It's really eye-opening just to see how scared they are and how much they fear. But it's just the fear of the unknown. And, and once you let go of that fear, you just jump in and, and you just expect, you try to expect the best and just prepare for the worst. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So uh, were you rapping when you were out there or did that kind of start? You were nah, just like. Were you just playing around, or were you? Um... Oh no, uh, I've I've been I've been uh, writing music since like fourth grade. Uh, wow. Actually, second grade is when I first like started like just messing around with my cousin, and then fourth grade is when I started writing down verses. I think it was eighth grade. I got on like my first mixtape with my older cousins and stuff. So I was rapping, and I I knew that I was pretty decent because all the kids at school were telling me that I had somebody else writing for me. So that, okay, well, I must be pretty good if everybody thinks that I'm not writing my own um, lyrics. Um, and then high school, that was part of my popularity. I mean, besides the gang life, I, we, we did a lot of talent shows and we made music from MySpace and, and everything like that. So we had a bunch of people in school like singing our songs. So that, um, yeah, so, so that's where it like continued. And then I started my alcoholism and addiction path and I kind of just fell off of almost like everything fell off everything so So, uh, are the verses different from when you were um out there than now that you're yeah yeah so the majority of the verses that I've done recently are completely different but I I have hopped on um, a few of my friends songs where like the theme is the theme so I'd say everything normal and then I like throw a little line in there like I had to stop drinking but I'm still lit (laughs) yeah I love it. I love it. Yeah, you know, believe it or not, I used to freestyle rap in the Hollywood basements, in the clubs, and I was hanging around, my boyfriend at the time was Exhibit, and I was relentless. I was just ruthless. And, you know, you're you're young, and I mean, this was, God, I was 21, now I'm 40, almost 48. 
<laughs> but you know, this is back in the day. And I just like, I was a happy drunk. I had a lot of fun. You know, I was out there, I was on the microphone. I didn't give a, sh I was just going. It was when the drugs came in, but I'll tell you every time I did drink, it was always a disaster. It was Ooh. always, always, you know, crashing cars, getting, telling, you know, running from officers, chasing down and in the jail cell, just freaking out, like just crazy stuff. And so I know I'm an alcoholic at heart. And I do believe that I was born with that because I wasn't before. Do you feel that way? Or how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's funny, too, because I've had friends like my best friends, like Rashad. How the hell are you an addict and alcoholic and we did all the same drugs and drank all the same stuff at the same time? I'm like, yeah, I, I know. I'm like, it's just, it's gotta be genetic and it's gotta be, uh, random because like the friend who asked me, his whole family is alcoholic. So it's like, how did he not become alcoholic and his whole family is and only a few people in my family are and I am like. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is interesting how it gets passed down and some people get it and some people don't. I was very, very, irritable and I was just not a happy kid and I had everything to, thrown at my feet which was not good for an only child it just made me worse and so and my drug and alcohol stint lasted from 15 years old to 32 years old it was bad <laughs> the last eight years I was starting to smoke meth and that really took me down I was um you know needed to go in a rubber room I had shaved my head and my eyebrows and po pulled my eyelashes out. I put a hole in my chin. I mean, it got weird, crazy. And I'm just so amazed that we can sit here today and talk like this and just be so open and alive. And, you know, I, I just remember how insecure I was and how to be on camera. I mean, I would hide. I would only come out at night, you know. Well, I only had to come out at night. I was digging in dumpsters, you know. <laughs> I I mean, this is the truth. It's horrible, but it's it's so miraculous where you are, where I am. For me, it's just, it, it had to have been something bigger than me. I'm a spiritual person. I don't know. Are you spiritual or do you? Are, Absolutely yes? spiritual. Non-religious, but I am very spiritual. Right. I mean, I meditate for an hour and a half a day. Oh, <laughs> that's hard. How did you get to that point? Four years of practice. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so I've been meditating for four years. I found my my practice, which is uh, I throw on some meditation, like drums or um, the bowls. And I'll, I'll lay down in a very comfortable position and I'll close my eyes. And I'll just like, after about 15 minutes, I start to like wow. float in, a, in and out of consciousness. And it's just like a perfect, once I hit that peak, that perfect spot. And then like an hour passes, my alarm goes off and I'm like, oh, well, it's been an hour already. Let's go. Time to go to work. <laughs> what does meditation do for you? I can't even, it's so much. It stops me from arguing with people. I'll tell you that one, once I feel attacked or something, I just, I'll take a deep breath. All right. It, it, it keeps me from panicking when everybody else around me is panicking. And it, I didn't notice it until a few years after when like my girlfriend, something happened and she'd be like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And I'm like... <laughs> Like, I'm like, well, it's three weeks from now, so we're not going to do anything right this moment. Yeah, but what are we going to do when it happens? I'm like, I don't know. Like, let's just wait till it happens and then let's see. Like, I doubt it's going to be as bad as you're predicting. But, um, yeah, I don't panic. I, I survey the situation, and if I can do something about it, I do exactly what I need to do. And if I can't do anything about it, I let, let it go because I'm not going to let it sit on me, you know?
that's amazing. Jeez. It, so much. I don't know. I think it made me a better writer. Done a lot for me. My blood pressure is amazing. I don't know if it's from just the meditation, but my blood pressure is really good. It helps me zone out in the gym. It puts me, I don't know. There's so many benefits to meditation. I can't even like. That's cool. Yeah. I hear, I've tried it and tried it and tried it and tried it and tried it. My brain is, it, I think when we become too obsessed with work, I like I have a full-time job. I have this, I've got a post, I've got, well, you know, and you know how everyone has this. It's just the way life is today. It's very fast. It's very social. It's very, you know, constant. And actually, naturally, we are supposed to be like nature. We're supposed to be a lot naturally. We're supposed to just like a walk in the in the forest is how we're supposed to live our lives. Well, we don't. And to be able to stop that chatter could benefit like you said anybody and even if it was just for five minutes yeah and i say it and i say it and i say it but i don't do it and that's one of the the things that i've got to work on you know we all have our issues and what are some of the issues that you're working on (laughs) (laughs) let's turn it on you i'm working on my uh, a lot of my emotions don't show emotions to a lot of people that do deserve them you know um it's like my grandmother my mother uh, and my like my brothers, I, I have a hard time showing emotions, and I think it, it it might stem from like childhood, from the abandonment issues I've had as a, as a kid. But um, I notice it because like I I don't have that issue with my children, but I and that's where I notice like I treat my my kids like gods, and then I still treat the people who help me and everything like garbage sometimes with, with, with the verb the verbiage that I use, and I, I have to be aware of that. And then um, I'm not very lovey-dovey, and that's my girl's love language, and so I'm working on doing that. It's just I feel really awkward because for the majority of my life, when I dealt with females, I was drinking or I was doing drugs. So it's like now I'm a regular person trying to show emotions after being messed up for so long, you know? So it's a lot of the emotional stuff that I'm still working on, but I've come a long way compared to where I was. I'm working on so many other things as well. Yeah, like what? Let's hear it. <laughs> oh, <God>, no. <laughs> you're it. You're it, man. Uh, my procrastination is starting to come back. I, I've gotten so comfortable the way that I've been living my life that I didn't notice that I was starting to procrastinate again. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's been disguised with my patience because, like I said, the meditation keeps me from worrying about things in the future. Yeah. But it's been intertwined with procrastination so it's like i know that i don't need to address it right away but i'm really waiting up to like the last second now and and i need to need to wind it back and and start taking more action well talking about action i mean geez i'll tell you you're one of the only guests that actually uh, read the instructions (laughs) thank you for that i have to thank people for reading It's amazing. We laugh about that every week, you know, me and my co-host, where I don't know where he went. Where are you, Chris? Are you coming up or what? We laugh every week because we sit here and there's no guest. And hey, Chris, say hello, Chris. Can I talk? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys. (laughs) Rashad, pleasure to meet you, son. How are you doing? Likewise, I'm well. How are you? Fantastic. Yeah, I have to agree with Danny. You know, you must be guest number 11, I think. And every time we keep telling the guests, please make sure that you read the manual. And then some of them actually miss the episodes. And then 
Danny and I have to engage in some subtle ribaldry just to keep the episode going. But you, Squire, you surpass them all. (laughs) (laughs) My goal is I'm only competing with myself, but if you put me up against somebody, I'll take that. Well, (laughs) 20 out of 10 for you, Danny. 20 out of 10. (laughs) Sorry I missed this, guys. I don't know what happened. I had a technical mishap. That's okay. But uh, I've really enjoyed listening to your story, Rashad. I can relate to it as well, you know, feeling like you have no place to belong originally in the beginning and then uh, ultimately finding yourself in a place where uh, you either, I think it's called fight or flight, and you decided to fight and look where you are today. You're a man of many talents. You don't need the, the kudos from me, but I'm proud of you for what you have achieved. And I'm excited to see if this is where you are now, I want to see where you are 10 years from today. And when you reach that next 10-year milestone, where are you going to be 10 years after that? One never stops growing. So a hearty congratulations. You're an absolute gem of a guy. Nothing but the blessed. Yeah. We appreciate you coming on. How about you tell us real quick um, um, what your goals are for the next five years and, and what would you tell somebody who's struggling? When the goals for the next five years, um, I'm trying to get a house. I'm trying to get into the state as a recovery support specialist because I just got to it. I'm working on my second book right now, so I'm hoping to publish next year for that. Um, I get in a few more movies. Did a movie last month, a Hallmark Christmas movie, and I'm been to what? Oh, nice. A few more, yeah. So I'm just, I want more roles. I want more exposure so I can share my story with more people and I want to touch more lives and I just want to, um, you know, help as many people as I can. My advice to somebody struggling right now is you may not be ready right now, but um, prepare yourself for that moment that you are ready. Get as much knowledge and education as you can in recovery and addiction. And they say success is, uh, what is it? It's uh, time. Going from failure to failure without uh, diminished enthusiasm. Okay. Yeah, but I was going to say uh, it's, it's a, a combination of luck and timing. So, you know, or preparation and, and timing. So, like... Just prepare yourself for when that moment comes, when you finally see the light. So you have that information and you don't got to go searching for it. You got to decide you and just go forward with recovery. I love that. You trumped me. Gee whiz, I'm stealing that. <laughs> Rashad, thank you so much. God bless you, brother. I appreciate it. It's only a pleasure. Yeah, if anybody wants to follow me on Instagram, it's Rilla. Fit or Rilla underscore fit, and my book is available on Amazon. Yes, I'm pretty sure you put it in the show notes. Yeah, but you got to go follow Rilla Fit, man. He is he is the epitome of recovery and just motivation, health. I mean, I'm really impressed. I I'm not trying to like you know ruffle you up, but I am very impressed because you're working for your mental health, your physical health, and it's just really it's what the recovery community needs to see. Because it is mm, a mm. effort of all of these things to make a person not die. I mean, it's yeah. a deadly thing that we're dealing with. So keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for joining us. Thank you all for joining us. And Chris. Amen. And that's been DIS too. Sober for the week. Next time we're going to have Dr. Lumi Doka on. I can't wait for that episode. Look after yourself, guys. And please, I keep saying this every given episode. We invite these guests on not just for ourselves to be educated, but for you to ask questions. Don't be afraid to submit your questions ahead of time. 
We would love to have them and have our guests answer them. This is your show, not just our show. Have a good one, guys. God bless you all. And sorry again for the mishap. Uh, technology, my new ex-wife. Goodbye yeah. for now, guys. Bye-bye. We love you, Chris.